lot of you I know, some of you I don't know, some of you I haven't seen in several years for one reason or another. So it's great to see all of you today, and it's fun to sing Christmas carols with you. Um, today, I've got good news for you, because for you, a Savior was born. And that's why we're here, right? Yeah, praise the Lord for that. That's great. He was born in the city of David, Bethlehem. He's a child. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's lying in a manger. He was named on the eighth day, this Savior of the world, and his name actually means the one who saves. No pressure, right? Can you imagine being told that all growing up? You're the one who's going to save. You're the one who's going to save. That's his name every time he hears it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke share the story of Jesus' birth from Earth's perspective, from what we see. They've got all of the details that we're familiar with in the Christmas stories, every aspect of it, from the first announcement to John's dad, Zechariah, in the temple. You and your wife are going to conceive a baby, and John is shocked, right? No, we're, we're way too old. How in the world is that going to happen, right? And then what does he get? Silence, right? 40 weeks of silence while he waits for this son to come. And this son is the one who's going to come in advance. He's going to herald Jesus. He's going to announce that the Lamb of God is coming into the world, that the kingdom of God is coming. And so get ready, because something big is happening. But then they also have the other details. Two more angelic visits. One to Mary, Jesus' mom. One to Joseph, Jesus' dad, announcing the story, right? Then we've got news of the census to be taken. And so where do Mary and Joseph have to go? Bethlehem. Judea, right? Because of taxes. See, taxes have been around for a long time, unavoidable in every empire throughout the history of the world. And so they go there to be counted so that the Caesar might know how much money he can expect to bring in. And there they find that there's a group of people waiting to receive him, right? No, the town's full. It's busting at the seams. Everybody's gone home for the holidays, I mean for tax season. And so they're there in Bethlehem being counted but they couldn't count on a place to stay. So where did they end up? In a stable, right? They didn't end up in the manger. All four, that'd be a really big feeding trough, right? Like, you can't stay in the house, but you can lay down in our feeding trough. Those are big cows, right? Anyways, so they end up where the animals are, right? And there's some debate. Some people say that they were probably basically in the garage as part of the house. There's a good chance that they were actually out in the fields in a cave and that Jesus was laid in one of the few wood structures that would have been given to the animals this feeding trough made out of wood. And so Jesus was born in a cave. And where did they put him when he died? In a cave, right? It's like his birth was foreshadowing his death. And they tell us of these shepherds who were just minding their own business, keeping sheep in the fields at night. And what happens to them? More angels, right? Like more angels show up. And there's this pronouncement of good news, glad tidings, great joy, because a Savior has been born to you in Bethlehem. And what's the sign? That there's going to be this child wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Can you imagine that? What do you put in a manger in the feeding trough? Hay, food for animals. Is that clean stuff? Is that like uh, new moms, right? They're kind of into clean things, right? I don't know if you recognize that. That's probably not a new thing. And yet this child, the best place for them to lay him is right there in that feeding trough. They've got all those details. But John, he takes things in a very different way. He tells the story from heaven's perspective. He doesn't tell us the story 
from earth's perspective. In fact, he skips all of the details of earth, right? Now you've got John. He starts his gospel not with the story of Jesus' birth. He goes way back even further. He starts his story of Jesus with three words, in the beginning. Bible students, where else is that found? Genesis. Genesis 1-1. That's exactly right, young man. You're very handsome, by the way. Genesis 1-1 starts in the beginning. Can you believe the chutzpah? I think that's the right Jewish word to describe someone with this much chicharone in him, right? He has some guts. He has started way back at the beginning. In the beginning. And then Genesis 1-1 continues, God created the heavens and the earth. But John does this weird thing as he tells about Jesus and his birth from heaven's perspective. He changes the words of the Bible. There should be a gasp when we hear that. He was starting like he was starting the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But he stopped there and he says, was the word, the logos. And the word was God. And he was with God. He was with God in the beginning. John actually doesn't change it. He clarifies it. You thought it was one way, but I'm here to tell you it was another way. That Jesus, who I'm about to write about, was God in the beginning. And he was with the Father and with the Spirit in the beginning. He was God from the beginning. And God resided together in the beginning. And then he goes on and he talks about this God who creates. He says, the word created everything. Nothing that was created was created without him. He was involved in every aspect of creation as a co-equal with the Father. He says that life was in the word. The light of mankind was the life that was in the word. His life is light. Light shining in the darkness. Light unstoppable. The darkness could not overcome that light. And this light was coming into our darkness, right? Not just the darkness out there in space where we think of God in the heavens, but the darkness in our reality in our world, and even the darkness of our world can't stop the light that is in the Word. That's pretty awesome, right? That's really good news. And then he says, this one who, was create, who had created the world was coming into our world. But the world, the world that he knew perfectly, the world that he created, didn't recognize him didn't know him anymore. Isn't that wild? How many of you fear that moment when you realize that you do not recognize the most important things around you? It's like the world had amnesia. It's like the world forgot the one who created it, didn't know him any longer. What's more is he came to his own people, the people that he saved, the people who were called by his name, who were described as people of his book. You know what they did? They didn't receive him. They rejected him. Isn't that wild? John's telling us this before the story. I think John was incredibly drawn to story and drama. When you read this and you realize this, you realize that John is starting out there in the heavens, right? And he's brought it right here. 
and he's foreshadowed, and he's telling you what's coming, but most importantly, he's telling you about who this Jesus is and what this Jesus has come to do. Because then he says, but to the ones who did receive him, the ones who did believe in the power of his name, he gave them a special right, a special power, the power to be called a child of God. Now that's really amazing. This is the story from heaven's perspective, is that God entered our world. The creator entered the creation. The uncreated one was begotten in our midst. And that one was the one who brings life and light into everything. He came as one who is unstoppable, one who won't be conquered even in the darkness. A little bit of foreshadowing to Good Friday there when it's dark, right? Don't fear, the light's going to win after all. And this one who was rejected came especially for the ones who would receive. Because the story of Christmas on heaven's end is not what they are giving, but what they want to receive, which is you. They want to receive you. See, on Christmas, Jesus is God's gift for us. And you, this is kind of wild, but you, if you believe in Jesus, God counts you as a gift towards him. He receives you, and he treasures you, and he's longing for you the way you long for a gift. Isn't that awesome? That's the story of Christmas from heaven's perspective. And then John clarifies, they have the right to be named a child of God, not born of blood, genetics. Isn't it funny, even in this day and age, how much genetics impact who we think we are? Like, I'm six foot four. That means that when I'm standing in a room, people automatically think that I'm going to be an authority figure. You know why? Genetics. Because I'm tall. You know what's wild? Is my poor dad's 5'8", and he's a better leader than I am, right? But no one looks to Bill Garrison automatically as the leader in the room. But he'll lead really well if you let him. Genetics. God says, that's not what makes you important. And he says, not of flesh passions. Man, the 70s, all about the love children, right? That's our love child. That's a child who's loved, brought into the world by free love. Love is so powerful. It's so good. That child is wanted and desired. What about those who aren't? God says, even if you feel like your own family didn't want you, you still matter. You're loved. You're desired. Not born of the will of man. You're not just here because someone thinks you're there to make their lives better. You're here because God desires you and he cares for you. He says that if you believe in Jesus, you're going to be born of God, of his will, of his desires, of his love, of his strength, of his genetics forever. Isn't that crazy? This is what Nicodemus was wrestling with in John 3. What does it mean to be born of God? This is what it means to be born of God to have eternal life, to be a child of God. And then John continues. He says, this word took up flesh. He took up residence. Literally, the Aramaic here is tabernacled. Aramaic is a simple language. They don't have as many words as we do to describe things, but this idea of tabernacling was a really big deal. If you tabernacled with someone, you were connected with them. You cared about them. You were entering into life with them, and you were offering relationship to them. He tabernacled with us. Do you know your neighbors? Do you see them around you? Do you have observed stuff about them? You do, don't you? 
Like, do they bring in their garbage can quickly? <laughs> do they clean up when the bear knocks over their garbage can? Or do you clean up when the bear knocks over their garbage can? Do they say hi to you? Or do they run into their house quickly and avoid you? Are they welcome in your home? Are you welcome in their home? Well, Jesus came as a neighbor. He was a very neighborly neighbor. He wanted to be known. He was close. He was personal. He was knowable. He was touchable. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the moment that John realized, I am a student of God. I am God's disciple. I can sit with him. I can talk with him. I can share a meal with him. I can go fishing with God. I saw God walk on water. I saw God make water into wine. And I can give God a glass of water. And he's grateful. Isn't that wild? You realize how mind-blowing that was for the disciples when they connected these dots? How mind-blowing is it for you when you realize that same God wants that same type of relationship with you? To be known, to be understood by you, to go with you through life, to speak with you, and to listen to you. Think about that. God's willing to listen to you. And so at the end of the Gospel of John, when it says that the disciple was, that Jesus loved was laying his head on Jesus' chest and talking to him. How precious was that to John his whole life through? I was that close to God. I heard God's heartbeat. I breathed God's breath. He cares about me deeply. He walked with me. He took up residence. You know what they saw? John says this. They saw his glory. They saw his light. They saw who he was. They perceived something about him. It was a unique glory. The glory of the only begotten Son of God. Not born like you and I are, but born by the will of God. Not living like you and I are, but existing eternally in the past and existing eternally in the future automatically because of his nature. He was God and he walked among us. It was the glory of the Father, too. And he was full of grace and truth. Everybody's full of something. Amen. What would your friends and family say that you're full of? I don't mean that in that way, by the way. I know that we have an expression about that, right? But we are known by some of our chief characteristics, aren't we? We're known by things. People understand us. We have a reputation. That's okay. We all are going to have a reputation, probably both good and bad, right? Because none of us are perfect. But Jesus' reputation was that he was full of grace, favor for other people, not because of who they were, but because of his love for them and truth. He was always willing to tell the truth. And he did so in love every time for the benefit of the one who was going to receive it. That is really amazing. So eternal God, the uncreated creating one, who is full of light and light, came into this world like one of us. He was God on display. One of our Christmas carols says, pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. That's what it's talking about. Jesus was born as a child of mankind, so that if you believe in him, you can be called a child of God. And so Christmas becomes this dividing line in history. This moment where the creating God entered the world as a creation. 
but it also becomes a dividing line in all of humanity. It's very clear. There are some people who have received him, who have believed him, and they have been called children of God. They have eternal life. They have hope. They have joy. They have reason to glorify. They have a source of love in their life that's greater than anything else. And then there's this other side of people who are receiving an invitation. Will they receive this Son of God who came into the world? Some of you are like, I sat on the wrong side of the church right now, right? You're like, why did I sit on this side? Metaphorical, right? There are people who have been invited but who haven't received yet, who are welcome to become, but they have to choose. They have to choose to receive. The world was given the Son, but they didn't know Him. His own people were given the Son, but they didn't receive Him. How about you? Will you receive Him? Is, yes, amen. <laughs> Is today the day that you put your faith in Jesus? Because Christmas, first and foremost, is an invitation. Think of that first Christmas. Nobody believed yet. There was nothing to believe yet. They didn't understand the Savior was coming. I mean, he was predicted, but they didn't really get it. They didn't really understand it. Those shepherds out in the field, they were invited, right? Come and behold this newborn king. Come and behold the Messiah. What do you think they heard from Mary? Probably the whole story, right? There were no wallet-sized pictures then. There were just stories. I have a feeling that Mary and Joseph had a lot to share with those guys. You saw the angels too? No one is believing us, right? Those shepherds, we believed. Do you know what it meant when they believed? They received the right to be called children of God. Are you going to be like the shepherds today? Are you going to receive the right to be called a child of God? Because if you do, you get to cross over the dividing line. And then Christmas for you isn't just an invitation, which by the way, it will continue to be every year and every day that you have breath, it becomes a celebration. A celebration of what God decided before he even created, that he would offer salvation free of charge to you, full of charge for him. Isn't that wild? That God would choose to enter our reality and become like us to save us as only he could. And so for many of us today, Christmas is a celebration of the blessings that we've received, of eternal life, of fellowship with God, of the teaching that we can receive from God, of the love, of the joy, of the hope, of the peace that God is willing to offer us over and over again, of the Holy Spirit coming into our life and transforming us, of the understanding that we have, of the future eternal that we look forward to. And so for you, Christmas is a wow. It's an I can't believe it. It's a this is so amazing. It is the kickoff of the celebration that will last for all eternity in your heart. And so in just a moment, I'm going to light this fifth candle on the Advent wreath. And this candle, candle is the candle, 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 let's get that out of my mouth, candle that is the Christ candle. It's the announcement that the Messiah is born for us. And then I'm going to take a little white candle and I'm going to light a few of those and we're going to pass that around the room. Hopefully you've got one of those candles. And so it's a symbol of the light coming to you. And so you have a moment there while you're receiving it and while you're giving it to somebody else and while you're waiting to think, is today a celebration for me? Today am I rejoicing because of what God has done in my life? Or is today a day where I need to consider this invitation that this God is giving me to believe 
to receive eternal life, to be called a child of God. Jesus became a child of mankind so that if you believe, you can be called a child of God. Let's spread the light.